Hello everyone, this is Gabriel Sanders. There were some technical difficulties in the recording of this episode. I cleaned it up as much as I could. I'm only doing the best that I can, and I'm enjoying giving you the best I can. And I hope you're enjoying these fascinating talks with some incredibly normal and normally incredible people. Please leave a review for this episode, other episodes, or for the whole show on your podcasting platform or on any of the social media links. Thank you so much for that. Josh Davis is my guest on this episode, and he and I had a great talk. So even with all the technical issues, I hope you enjoyed as much as I did, and thank you for listening. This is Stars from Lennon's Rock. There, out in the darkness, a fugitive running, fallen from God, fallen from grace. God be my witness, I never shall yield till we come face to face, till we come face to face. He knows his way in the dark. Mine is the way of the Lord. Those who follow the path of the righteous shall have their reward. And if they fall as loose of a hell, the flame of the sword starts. Sentinels, silent and sure, keeping watch in the night, keeping watch in the night. In your place in the sky, you hold your course and your aim, and each in your season returns and returns, and is always the same. And if you fall as loose up a hell, you fall in flame. And so it must be, for so does written on the doorway to paradise that those who falter and those who fall must pay the price. Find him that I may see him safe behind bars. I will never rest till then. This I swear, this I swear by the stars. Hello and 
welcome to another episode of What's Normal with Gabriel Sanders. Hello, I am Gabriel Sanders, and this episode is called Normalizing the Process. Josh Davis is my guest on this episode, and that was him singing Stars from Les Miserables. His voice is a combination of Broadway, opera, and old crooner. That's what I get from him. Beautiful. Did you melt? I melted. Did all of you or some part of you just melt in a puddle on the floor? He's an amazing singer. You have seen my next guest, Josh Davis, in the original Broadway cast of Beautiful, the Carol King musical. He played Javert in the North American tour of Les Mis. You've probably heard his voice before, if not on the stage. He has done a lot of voiceover work, so you probably heard his voice on commercials. He is also an amazing artist of watercolor. He's extremely talented, and we will get to learn all about his fascinating normal and enjoying the process of life and of work. We also get into the current normal of Broadway and theater in general, because you may or may not know, during this time of COVID, Broadway is in the dark right now. All of theater, local theater, the small theaters all around you, I'm sure all the stages are shuttered. Thousands of talented people out of work, millions of dollars lost, and who knows when that all will return. Can you imagine, can you imagine New York without Broadway? Even when New York was in the gutter with crime and sex shows and depravity and all of that, there was still theater. It hurts my inner being to say his name in a kind light, but Giuliani came along and Disney came along and they worked together and helped revitalized Times Square in the late 80s, early 90s. I don't know the actual timeline, but I think there was a talk of just destroying Times Square, the darkening of Times Square, I think it was called, and make it all high-rise business offices. But then it revitalized. Whatever you want to say about it, bad or good, Times Square is still a mecca of theater and entertainment. And now until what's been talking about, I read maybe sometime in 2021, maybe the theaters will begin to reopen, maybe. I'm also trying to get back to work in New York on TV sets as the boom operator, and the protocols of testing and timing that with travel and testing and seeing my family really do my head in, and I never use that saying, do my head in, but now it feels right. It does my head in. So we will get into the current normal of theater in our talk, so I'll leave the talk to the talking. Scheduling talks is not as easy as one might seem. Everyone has a schedule. My wife has one. My kids have a schedule. My guests have a schedule, of course. And I don't have a studio or an upstairs office or a room over the garage. My wife doesn't have a studio to teach her voice lessons. Usually I'm in the office slash guest room to do a Zoom talk. I've had two talks on the lanai at night, but this time I had to have my talk with Josh while in my car. So the sound in a car can be great if you're in a quiet area. Josh had shared with me that he, he has had to do voiceovers in his car as well. We're all trying to do the best we can and make it work as easy as possible, right? Sing or have an important phone call in your car. It's actually great sound. It's very sound deadening. It's great. And the car has to be turned off so you don't get the engine or the AC or heater depending on where you live. When I was having this talk with Josh Davis, I was actually sweating a little bit. Not because it was Josh, 
but because I'm in Florida. It's a little hot out right now, even during this time. Even for the winter, I mean, it's like 74 degrees. In a car, you add another 10 degrees to the temperature. That's why leaving a dog in the car is not safe. But there I was. I was a little sweaty talking to Josh. Josh had found a quiet place in his house. It's all about quality control, right? Right now, I'm doing this intro to the show. And right now, next to me, my dog is snoring. It's all about the process, right? It's all about normalizing the process. Josh talks about the importance of the process. The process is made up of the steps we take to get to the goal we want the way we want it. In my field, we say pre-production is key. So preparing and honoring and being mindful about the preparation and the process is very important. Sometimes it's not easy. I've been through the shit as well when I couldn't see the forest from the trees. Either it was work-related or relationship-related, parenting-related, struggling with debt, marriage problems. We're all, especially right now, in this new normal. Struggling, just getting by, counting the money, and moving it around to pay the bills. Some of us are. Some of us are in better situations than others. But we're all just doing the best we can. If you're used to performing at 100%, 110% is now a real thing. So don't say, I'm working at 100 I'm going to do 110%. 110% is now a real thing. Do your best 100%. So if you're used to doing your 100% and giving yourself 100%, even to your friends and family, and right now during this time you're stressing out that you can't, then don't. Be easy on yourself. Lower the bar if you have to. You know it's temporary. You'll get out of it soon enough. Know that you can do the 100%. You've been there many times before, but we are in a pandemic. Be mindful of the pandemic fatigue. Shit still sucks out there. Just know that it does. We are stressed. I'm stressed. I'm sure you're stressed. I don't show it. Really, I don't show that I'm stressed, but I am. My wife and I had a talk, and she was honest with me, and we're honest with each other. I won't get into the minutia of the talk, but she says she can only give 80% right now. We love each other 100%. We've given each other 100% before, but right now, being a parent, dealing with the current and the normal stresses of life, she can only give 80%, and that's fine. Do your best 80%. That's a good B. Ride the B. We will get back to 100% at some point, but right now we're going to give each other a good B, and we're happy with that. We love each other 100%, but we're going to give 80%. Maybe when the kids go to regular school, or maybe when they're out of the house, or maybe when the pandemic is over, whatever it may be, until then, a solid 80. As we said in our vows, we will ride the waves and the roller coasters of our lives together and we will still love each other no matter what, through the ups and downs. So do your best, give yourself, give others a good B, knowing that you've been up to the A before. Love as much as you can, love as much as you can. Do your best, okay? This is what we're dealing with right now. So with this talk, I was out of the house because Carrie was teaching voice lessons at that time. And Carrie doesn't always like to hear me have one-sided conversations from another room. I mean, really, who does want to hear one-sided conversations? I always find that rude when I'm in, uh, like, uh, in public transportation and I hear someone speaking on their phone pretty loudly. That's kind of rude, right? So 
when she comes home from the Zumba class and catches the end of my talk, or when I'm on the lanai having my talk, through the walls, my voice is apparently like the teacher from Peanuts. My voice can be baritone and monotone. Okay, I get that. I'm a good, I'm a good omer. I'm a good omer for meditation class. You need a good omer when you're in meditation class or or yoga class. You need that to really give that om a good, a good sounding, a good base, good baseline. So Kara goes to Zumba. She's obsessed with Zumba, and it's great. I've not gotten back to the gym yet because of COVID, but I do miss a good yoga class. I taught yoga and fitness, personal training, for about five years plus, and I was deeply into it. That's another story for another time. We're all just doing the best we can, and in this dark cloud of the COVID pandemic, over a million cases, hundreds of thousands of deaths, and politics with this guy still in office until the 20th of January, we're just doing the best we can to make it, right through this pandemic and all this stuff that's happening right now. You just have to grow your happiness flower, like Ty Collins shares with us in the episode "The Call of the Void," episode 10. Grow your happiness flower. Do the best you can. That was an an incredible episode. So please check that one out. So during this time and since the beginning of the quarantine and social distancing and isolation at home, I've always had in my mind that there will always be, there will have to be, there might be a silver lining to this dark cloud, or little silver linings. I can only hope and put it out into the universe that good things will come to me, my wife, my children, and the people I love. Friends and those good people out there that, who need that silver lining, the essential workers out there that need that silver lining. I'm going to put that energy out there. Okay, putting the energy out there that you will get your silver lining as well. But right now we have to deal with the process to in order to get to to those goals. So this is my talk with Josh Davis, Broadway star, artist. He has amazing watercolors on his Instagram page, along with his photos of his dog and other great photos of him. But his paintings are incredible. I always want to share that talent of someone. My wife is an incredible artist as well. I'm learning this; she's learning this herself. She's a fantastic painter. The media of painting, watercolor, always fascinates me. Josh has a darkness and a depth to his watercolor. I feel so. Be sure to check out. His paintings. Okay, so that's it with my preamble. Here is my talk with Josh Davis in my car. I don't have a theme song, but if you'd like to make one for the show, I would certainly welcome that. I would thank you a lot and give you a big virtual hug. That would be awesome. And thank you for listening. If I were a rich man, If I were a wealthy man, wouldn't have to work hard. If I were a bitty bitty rich, digger diddle 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 man, I'd build a big tall house with rooms by the dozen, right in the middle of the town. A fine tin roof with real wooden floors below. There would be one long staircase just going up, and one even longer going down. Here you are. All right. Is this is this good? This is, is quiet. Yeah, this is good. Yeah. Great. I hope the connection keeps up. Yeah, this is great.
So, hello, Josh Davis. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for <laughs> hello, Gabriel. <laughs> hello. Thank you for coming on to my show. Absolutely. Thanks um, for having me. I am so honored and privileged to have a Broadway star on my show. Oh, do you have a Broadway star coming on your show later? That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder if I um, know <laughs> So, Josh Davis, you're on Broadway. Well, not right now. We'll get into it. What's happening to Broadway right now. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you sure. during, this, during this new normal. And your normal life and how you got to where you are now. We have a relative in common. We're kind of related. Yeah. Kind of. We're like, I don't know, third cousin, four times removed. I don't know how you say it. But you, you uh, would be my first cousin by marriage once. First cousin by marriage. Yeah. By, I, not, uh, yeah, be, yeah, because my cousin is yep. married to your brother. Right. So we're, we're in the same generational gap. I think that's, that's the removed part is the, so, is the generational part. First cousin by marriage. So we're at the wedding of my uh, brother to my sister-in-law, your cousin. And do you remember this? We were going back to the city, Carrie and I, and we had a car and we gave you a ride. And um, <laughs> what I remember, this is pretty funny, is that you know, Carrie was a singer. Carrie teaches voice lessons. Broadway has always been in her her sights. It just hasn't happened. She was sitting in the front seat, passenger seat. You're in the back. And you guys started singing a duet. Do you remember this? I remember. I don't remember what we were singing, but I do remember singing. For like two minutes. And then we heard, oh, I guess Josh has given you this part of the song and Carrie's still singing. And I look back in the mirror and you're fast asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I had probably eaten a lot at the wedding and that's what they're good for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was funny. You've been in Broadway. Mm -hmm. You're in the show Beautiful, the Carol King musical. Yeah, I was I was an original company member of that show. Original cast, yeah. pretty awesome. Les Mis, you're well, you're in a touring company of Les Mis. Uh, I was I yeah. played Javert on the national Broadway tour of Les Misérables from 2017 to the end of 2019. The show Beautiful end because of COVID? No, actually, Beautiful I think oh. had always had a shelf life at some point. You know, most most shows, not all shows, but most shows have have a shelf yeah. life, and so I was there from 2013 and then i left in 20 the middle of 2016 to go pursue some other, wow. some other endeavors and then did some other theater and some other stuff and then got into les mis in 2017 and i think beautiful closed just prior to covid i don't i want to oh, okay. say i don't so, think it was because of covid i think they they saw their exit plan and you know at, at some point broadway show it doesn't feasible for them to stay open and you know and beautiful was an enormous success and no one no one knew if it would be or yeah. not like it was actually i think one of the first sort of a bio musical that was a, a giant it wasn't just because of the music it was because you know of the writing and the directing and just all of the elements came together in that show which was pretty cool based on you know carol king her husband jerry goffin and then two other you know writers from that time so yeah it was uh, pretty interesting <laughs> so pretty oh is there something else to say that but it was pretty interesting uh, well it was also one of the first bio musicals that um not, maybe not the first but like all of the people it was about were still alive at the yeah. time when it was made so it wasn't like oh you know this mm. person has passed away and now we can recreate something based on their life it was oh these four people barry mann cynthia Weil, 
Carol King and Jerry Goffin are all still alive and still have strong opinions about how the story should be told. <laughs> and and uh, and they're oh. also, by the way, they're, they're you know each one wanted a different something to do differently within the musical. So, for instance, the classic stories, Carol King didn't want anything to do with the musical. Um, Jerry Goffin wasn't really a part of it at that point. Thea Weil and, uh, and Barry Mann were very <laughs> involved. And at some point, you know, for mm. the sake of the story and for the sake of theater, you do have to take, well, I guess you do have to step away from the, those people and then pay homage to the story and to be able to tell it in a good, fun, mm. dramatic way. And I think I didn't have the uh, the telling of the story. Obviously, that was like the the writer, Doug McGrath, and the um, uh, the director. And for my parts, I, I got to create a, a little thing. I got to create bits that then got repeated by other companies when they, you know, when it would go to other places. Oh, really? Yeah, that's the interesting thing is like when you're doing a, when you're putting it together a show for the first time, you know, it's, for instance, I'll give you an example. Like there was a bit, basically there were two clown type characters that played a bunch of different characters within the show. And me and, and, mm -hmm. and this other guy, Kevin Duda, were those two characters. And I played in the second act, I played one character. And in the first act, I, play, I played a bunch of, I represented a bunch of different people who worked within the Brill building. And at one point, as an introduction to one of the scenes, like the script says, character comes in and sings bebop a -lula, And he's like, basically pitching the song. And the, the lyrics are like, bebop a -lula, she's my baby, like four or five times. And that's all it says. And so mm -hmm. like, you know, I had to create a, a bit for that. So like I did a, a funny thing during rehearsal one day, which was like, I had the, the words in my hand and because it's literally the same like syllables each time I pretended mm -hmm. to forget what they were. And I did a bit where then I look down <laughs> at the sheet and then I take a, a, a moment and I look back up at the guy I'm singing to, and then I start and I got this big laugh in rehearsal. Great. Keep that. And so I kept it. And you know, then we, when we start running it in front of audiences, we see what works and what doesn't that worked. And so I, I would keep that. And then when I, let you know then when the understudies were within the show they they learned that bit that was like part of the bit and then when i found out it, it went to i think they opened in um in england i think before the national tour and and that was that was the bit and i don't know if it was in the script or if it was just in like the director notes but you would go see it in australia yeah. you'd go see it in you know everywhere across wherever it was playing and that was a bit that was in there that's fantastic so you, don't, you don't get paid that's for that, so cool to that see you, other people it's in there <laughs> right yeah but you see other people doing your thing that you yeah it was, it was pretty, pretty interesting you mentioned brill building uh the brill building which is in new york that was the home of of a history of the uh the greatest songs of the you know the initial rock songs yeah like be babaluba and and um i think it was uh under the boardwalk mm -hmm. was was written there performed there uh all the initial greats I used to work at the Bill Building. So, oh, cool! Yeah, there was a um, a sound uh, post production house or, or sound and video, but it was called, there was called Sound One. Okay, and there was a big post house, and they and Tadeo Tadeo used to be across from Studio Fifty Four. They were like the big names. I would walk down those held halls in Bill Building, which was That's really cool. Yeah. yeah, and then you can go up to the roof. The roof had an amazing view of Times Square. And, it was, it was pretty cool. I wonder if that was what so, Jerry Goffin was singing when he, 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 you know, he wrote about up on the roof, you know, 
and it's up on the roof and uh i wonder if that's what he was talking about like because they were so there were two buildings there was a brill building then there was 1650 broadway Mm -hmm. which i think was either the building next to it or across from it and they would run back and forth you know they Mm -hmm. like some of the writers would be in one building and some would be in the brill building but yeah like for for listeners who aren't familiar with with that like music has changed in the sense that like back then like you had writers like carol king and jerry goffin were basically working for you know the producer they would write a bunch of songs and then they'd say like hey we have these three songs and then those songs would then go to the artists so they would go to you know the different artists who would actually sing those songs so carol king was not you know was not the carol king that everyone knows right now she Mm -hmm. was she actually even had a different name at that point carol king was not her original original name that's her stage name but um the story of beautiful was basically about how carol king found her own voice power within her um to then go out to california to become you know to write tapestry and to become a a rock you know a a music superstar so it's a really it's like a coming of age finding yourself you know type of fun show and i think that's also one of the reasons that it worked is because it it had a, a beautiful like you know forgive that term but it had a really great story which was it had a lot of yeah. wonderful themes that people could relate to um especially like people you know most of our audience not all of the audience but a majority of the audience were baby boomers in carol king's case she got pregnant very early so then she got married and then she was married to jerry and things didn't work out but they, you know a lot of people had a lot of um, memories to a lot of these songs, but also could relate to the idea of, you know, becoming an adult way too early, like, you know, and losing a lot of their, those youthful times to like adult situations. And I think that that really touched with a lot of people. So not only becoming an adult way too early, but her breakthrough was, I'm going to sing my own songs. I want to write about my own, my own life and not have the songs written for her to perform which is still done today in oh absolutely way. i mean like you know any number of yeah. like super pop stars don't write their own music like that still actually happens you know sia right. writes or you you know would write a lot of music for other people and other artists would write for other artists but mm-hmm. in terms of like the band or like the group or like you know you know like a joni mitchell was sort of like one of the first who would also go out there and in california and become successful because she was writing her own stuff but back in the 40s that wasn't really mm-hmm thing you know and especially to be a female mm-hmm. you know singer was not you know was not right. a thing a singer songwriter so somebody right. pull me up short and put me through hell and give me support for being alive make me alive make me alive make me Confuse, mock me with praise, let me be used, vary my days, but alone is alone, not alone. Somebody crowd me with love. Did you always Somebody feel like when you were growing up that you wanted to, or why did you want to 
be on a stage and perform. If I think back to like the first time I did it, I, I was in um, like elementary school, I think. And it was like, a, it's like first grade. We were doing this like welcome thing for the parents. You know, it's like parents come and like meet the teachers. Yeah. And we did like this little skit of, we sang a song from Hello Dolly. Instead of Hello Dolly, it was Hello yeah. Teachers or something. And I remember I had like a, a little <laughs> solo and I, I just enjoyed it being up there and I enjoyed singing. And I, I had a tape. I don't think I have it anymore, but I remember many, many years ago recording something and it was like me making different you know stories different like characters and at one point i was like singing on it and i was thinking like oh i could i could hold a tune back then i like you know i could actually you know had some breath support and was like holding a tune and it sounded pretty good um in high school i choir and the magicals and um i did the plays in high school and i uh and i remember yeah. so the reason i did it was because so i played like sports in middle school play baseball and basketball and stuff but i was very distracted as a child and i also didn't like everybody yelling at me the parents like yelling like score the goal johnny and whatever um i hated that and like i was <laughs> right, i was right. intimidated to make yeah. a mistake which was you know a, a lesson i've learned throughout life but i just i was very intimidated back then of like going out there and having all that pressure of like getting the ball and being like oh, i've got to shoot it oh okay and having everybody yell at you, it was very distracting <laughs> to me. And so when I got yeah. into high school, I was like, oh my God, I have to like try out for baseball or I have to try out for, I'm horrible at that. I'm going to fail. And like, you know, me and failure, it was this yeah. life lesson that I had to, you know, learn. And some of it I learned later in life about my relationship to failure and how it kind of dictated, you know, my choices in life, but that's getting ahead. So I, uh, I ended up auditioning for a, a musical, which is funny because it's like, I, I tell that story to some people and they're like, oh my God, that's the scariest thing in the world. I would never get up and sing a song in front of people. But for me, it was like, well, I, I had confidence in being able to do it and I could kind of pretend to do something. And I also right. plan it out. You know, it's, I guess in like baseball or whatever you can practice, obviously, but like, okay, I'm going to go on stage and I'm going to sing the song and I'm going to move my hand this way and move my hips that way and whatever. And it was also a great place just to meet people. So that was fun. But the next step of that would have been to go to college, like to pursue an acting you know, degree, which it mm -hmm. came back to like my own insecurity. And I was, I, you know, I had ADHD in, in high school and I didn't really get diagnosed on that until a little bit later, but looking back on it, I had it. And part of that, what came with that was this insecurity of like being good enough or like this insecurity of like, what happens if I fail? Which is funny to think about, but well, yeah, an I actor. fail yeah. all the time. Like if I'm not failing, then I'm not going on auditions. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, it's a numbers right. game. But at that point, I just didn't know what to do. And I didn't necessarily have the guidance of anyone, a mentor or something to be like, hey, you know, you, you should look at these colleges or you should do this. And I didn't have the focus to be like, I'm going to sit down and like decide for myself what I want to do. I was sort of just kind of aloof. And uh, I ended up going to University of Delaware and, and getting a degree in business. Yeah. I did not expect um, that. I still sang in college. Like I sang in an acapella group and I, I really, that was where I, you know, had that in the fraternity that I was in. I, I found my best friends, but they were very different people. Like my fraternity was about like, you know, being a guy and drinking beer and whatever and, uh, and smoking weed. Yeah. And uh, my, my acapella group was, it was about smoking weed, but it was, it was about drinking. I mean, it was not drinking. It was about <laughs> singing. It was about going on stage and entertaining uh -huh. people and, and like taking songs off the radio and making them into like eight part harmonies with like, percussion and then touring to like different colleges and meeting people and having a good time. And that was just something I just, I just loved it. 
So getting a degree in business, was that like your, uh, that was my like safety fallback, fallback plan? Yeah. It was kind of silly. I mean, yeah, was, yeah. I, I should probably have done something else, but, um, yeah. And then after college, I, I was like, well, I don't know what I want to do. And I, um, I ended up moving to New York for the summer. Like I graduated in, uh, 97 and I moved to New York that summer and I was working at a, the time cafe, which was not there anymore, but it was like this pretty cool hip, like restaurant down on, uh, I think it was on Lexington or Lafayette. And, was, and um, I, I met somebody while I was there and he was, uh, he was working at a casting agency and I was like, Oh, that's cool. Like, I love movies. I want to like, I think I want to be an actor or I want to get into that kind of stuff. Or I thought at the time, actually, I wanted to be like a producer or a, an agent for some reason. I was really into like huh. Michael um, Ovitz. I thought he was cool at the mm -hmm. time. So he's like, Oh, well, we, you know, we need an intern. So why don't you come in and intern for us? So I was like, okay. So I ended up going to this casting agency, which was over in Tribeca. And I ended up interning for them for like a couple months. And it was funny. So like I get there and it's just like this big, like huge loft and it's all open and there's scripts everywhere and headshots everywhere. And my job was basically to clean it up. And right. So I would like mm -hmm. organize all the headshots and I'd organize the scripts and the two scripts that they were uh, casting at the time were Cider House Rules and Shakespeare in Love. Mm -hmm. And it was this casting okay. called Hopkins, Smith and Barton, which is not, doesn't exist anymore, but the, those individual casting directors are still out there and they're very, very successful. Yeah. I have to stop you for one second because those two movies, ironically, when I went to the Brill Building, oh, really? they were editing those movies. Okay. That was 97. They probably shot in 98, I would assume. So this was like 98, 99. Yep. I okay. worked at the Brill yeah. Building in 99. Um, yep. Well, yep. so that's, that's so interesting. I got to sit in on the auditions for some of those, which, you know, I, I really was very fascinating. Mm -hmm. I got to really learn like what it means to be an actor because being an actor in an audition is very different than being an actor like on camera and like watching the finished product and to watch some of these people who I like, I didn't mm -hmm. know their names, but I was, they were very familiar to me. They'd seen them on TV or movies and stuff. And they would just come in and then they like, just would go into this audition. You'd be like, wow, you literally just changed. It's so interesting to watch them do this. And I actually got to my kind of claim to fame at that point was I got to sit in on what's the guy, Joseph Fiennes, he from Shakespeare. Yeah, so Joseph I got to Fiennes, sit right. in on his audition. And, and it was on a week, I think wow. it was on a weekend. I got called in and they're like, can you come in? We have to do this audition. And so it was like me and Suzanne Smith, who was the casting director and Michael Winterbottom, who was the director. And then Joseph Fiennes and Gwyneth Paltrow were there. And this is like 1997. Mm -hmm. So I was mm -hmm. like, you know, I had seen seven, which was like one of my favorite movies of all time. And Gwyneth Paltrow was in it. And like, she was like, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow in like the nineties, yeah. obviously. She was also, she has just come out with uh, the remake of uh, Miss Havisham and oh, yes. uh, Great Expectations. Which I probably didn't see, but yes. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So I was like, uh, my job was to sit there with the camera and film Gwyneth while uh, I sat next uh, to Joseph. And uh, on, on the other side, like the director was watching like on a camera because um, he could like go back and forth. Like he could like basically live edit it back and forth looking. And the other person, you know, um, had the camera on the other side filming Joseph. And, uh, I remember him like before this, he would, he like reached out to me and he's like, Oh man, he's like, I'm so nervous. Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it was crazy. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and it, you know, so wow. what do you, I said, it's like, what are you doing today or something? He's like, I've got to fly back to, to home in England. He's like, it's Rafe's birthday. Everybody loves Rafe. <laughs> I was like, well, okay, yeah. And, uh, and then he got it. And, you know, That's and funny. It was, uh, it was really interesting.
but so that ended yeah internship That's ended amazing. and then i my time in new york sort of came to an end because i had to give the apartment back to my friend who was coming back to the city wait a minute they they didn't see you i mean you josh davis you like you're the actor you are you look like an actor you drip after sweat like you have like the persona you look at you look at you and you're like oh yeah he belongs on a camera on a stage singing performing at speaking to you you want to listen to your voice i mean they didn't see like you're next to rafe they i was thinking that they were going to like you know, oh, well, who's this guy <laughs> i appreciate you saying that this guy in another movie? world uh that would have happened but what's interesting is like yeah one of the themes for me is probably like missed opportunities. That's another life lesson I've learned um, because I'm kind of a, sh- I, I was a shy yeah. person and you know, I, it's hard to be like, Hey, yeah. put me in your movie. Um, and I don't know if I realized like the opportunity that I was in at that moment, but what one of the, one of the things yeah. I do remember from that night is like when they were setting up, Michael Winterbottom was on the other side and he's setting up the camera and he's like, could you stand over there and you know, just stay there so I can set up the camera. And he said, oh, yeah, you look very good on film. Okay, very good. And, you know, if I was, like, aware of what I was doing, I would have been like, I need to talk to this person about, you know, can I be in your movie? Can I do anything? Can I read for something? Um, but I was just sort of, like, overwhelmed because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know, with being in this moment and yeah. coming from, like, a Columbia, Maryland, where I didn't, you know, the biggest thing I ever did was, like, a high school musical. So it was, like, it was just this disconnect that I had. And and I also just don't think I realized at that time like how yeah. like kindly aggressive you have to be um, with just putting yourself out there. Yeah. And I, I learned yeah. that as I, you know, later in life, and 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 I, I do do that, you know, when I need to. But it, I think earlier on, I I would have benefited from being just a little bit more secure in my own abilities, or or, or just the idea of like being told no. Yeah. Well, there's there's moments. I mean, I I've worked on on jobs and depending on what job it was, but sit in so they could do a last check of light. Oh, you look good on camera or something like that. But, or an actor would compliment me on something, but I just have to be humble and stick to my sure. job then and there. I can't say, Oh, here's well, my yeah, headshot yeah. or can I blah, blah, blah. So you gotta, you gotta you know, know your time and place. But, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. But, you know, in that situation, you know, you're in a casting agency. I don't think it would have been so bad if I would have been like, Hey, you said I looked pretty good on, you know, I should get in touch with him and be like, hey, you know, 20 years ago, you said I looked yeah. pretty good on film. Like, looking for a job. <laughs> and that's a story. Um, yeah. That's so a just story for, to wrap that up. Yeah. So I left New York and I went back um, to Maryland yeah. and uh, moved back in with my parents. And then I ended up going to work in an ad agency. And this was <clears throat> 1999. Oh, yeah. I worked in an ad agency for like two years and then left there and went to work at a uh, small production company in D.C. and working with Discovery Channel um, and making like science shows. This is right before reality TV mm-hmm. hit. So I was doing like actual research for science right. and stuff like that. And uh, when I was working with them, their tagline was explore your world, explore your world, you know? Well, then they yes. changed it to entertain That's your right. brain, which is like the dumbed down version of whatever. It's a sugar coated yeah. nothingness. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. You know, we went from being, I, I was doing a show called Science Live where I had a bunch of different um, topics and I would have to research those topics and then find the scientists in the you know United States or the world that were experts on those and then do interviews with them and bring them in. And it was like a, it was like, it was like a live um, news show about science, which was actually kind of cool, like a talk show. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, cool. I learned a lot and I, yeah. I enjoy science and learning about that stuff. But once reality TV came around, like it became like, you know, just fluff basically. 
so I got fired, and uh, yeah. which oh. is another interesting, okay. you know, story. <laughs> Wait for it. I am the one thing in life I can't control. I am inimitable. I am an original. I'm not falling behind or running late. I'm not standing still. I'm lying in wait. I'm watching faces in endless uphill climb. He has something to prove. He has nothing to lose. Hamilton's pace is relentless. He wastes no time. What is it like in his shoes? We did our graphics for the MCI Center, which I don't think is called the MCI Center anymore, but it's where the Capitals and the Washington Wizards play. And we would do all the in-house graphics. So like do a game and they're like, Michael Jordan is, you know, number 23 or whatever his number was at the time. Was he still 23 when he was at the, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. The Wizards. So anyway, you know, you're watching people be introduced. We would do all of those those videos we would like make the introductions and they'd be like yeah you know scored a goal for uh the, the washington capitals and like you know the flames would come up my company would do that stuff and part of our contract was that a camera guy or a couple camera guys we would do like the in-house like camera stuff so my job was to sit on the court and film michael jordan playing basketball for the wizards yeah. and then i would take that tape and give it to our editor and they would edit out like the highlights and then send it out to the local news agencies to do like their, you know, you know, local, you know, sports news about the wizards. So I had some friends, some fraternity buddies come down to see a game and they had tickets to the game They you know, they didn't like sneak in, they had tickets to the game, but as a gift to them, um, beforehand, I got them, I had a, a friend who worked for the wizards and I got media passes for them. And, I kind of, you know, did it a little under the table. I was like, hey, you know, can you help me out here? It's just a, you know, a friendly mm -hmm. thing. It wasn't like anything crazy. And they were like, yeah, sure. So they gave me media, mm -hmm. media passes. And so I walked my friends down to before the game, they could watch them all warm up. So they you know, were huge sports fans. They were watching Michael Jordan warm up and everything, having a great time. And I was like, all right, guys, I'll meet you after the game. And my one friend who now lives in North Carolina, he was moving with his new wife from Maryland to North Carolina like that week. And so as a gift to him, I said, meet mm -hmm. me after the game. And I didn't tell him what I was going to do. So he, I, I met up with him after the game. And after the game, I do interviews with the players. So like I go down with the press into the locker room and I just set, set my camera up and then oh, cool. I just film them. Yeah. And I, he came with me. So I was like, here, here's your media pass, you know, come with me. And like, he's just standing next to me. Like, you know, he's holding my mic, which I usually do. He's holding the mic for the players and just having an awesome time. And then, you know, we were going to go back out and like have beers and talk about the night and have a good time. So I get a tap on the shoulder yep. and my boss, who is, you know, probably like three years older than I am. He's like, hey, uh, two guys just tried to sneak into the locker room. They said they, they were with our company. Do you know anything about this? And uh -oh. on top of that, this was in November of 2000 and 2001. So this was just after 9-11. So security uh -huh. was like super high. You know, everybody yeah. was on alert. And my two other friends had like gotten super drunk, wandered down into like the bowels of the MCI center and tried to sneak into the locker room. And then when they got stopped, when my boss is staying there, there's eight people who work for my company. And my boss is staying there oh. and it says like the name of the company on it. And he's like, well, who are you guys? And he's like, oh, we work for so-and-so, you know, production company. And, uh, 
And he's like, no, I own that company. You don't work for me. And then they took off running. Oh, They're like no. running to the MCI center. They got like 30 security guards looking for him. They never found them. But it obviously like came back to me. And then, you know, I, uh, I had a, a gig yeah. the next day, a commercial, like an in-house commercial for the Wizards again. Um, or no, for the Capitals, because I wasn't allowed near the Wizards again. So I directed the Capitals commercial and then <laughs> I got fired. And I remember like sitting in my car. Wow. Like crying and uh being like i've ruined yeah. my career i'm i'm ruined and that was in november yeah and then i took like basically that month off and in the end of the middle of january i think middle of january of uh, 2002 i uh i went on my first audition for as an actor in, D- in dc at a theater wow so that happened if that ha- if if your friends hadn't gone drunk and uh, that whole thing hadn't happened you hadn't gotten fired you might have not have gone on to audition. As yeah, I think as eventually I would have done it, but I, I only a couple months getting later. that little push out of the nest was, you know, a blessing in disguise. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I'd been thinking about it a lot. Like yeah. I had it been it had been on my mind about like, you know, I think I really want to pursue this, or just you know, thinking about like being an actor or something. And uh, yeah, you know, the universe works in mysterious ways. Yes, it does. And I, <clears> and again, I don't see why how people cannot see you. And say, why are you not on stage and acting? Why are you doing this with a camera? Because you exude, you are like, I, okay, there's, you belong. <laughs> I already said it. But um, I'm just waxing your car. I mean, even your voice, you should like yeah, do voice. I do. Do I, do I, voice well, that's the funny thing. If you talk about like the, yeah, new, the yeah. normal, that's the one thing that I've, I have been yeah. doing mostly over this, this time is like voiceovers haven't stopped. So yeah. I do audition for voiceovers right. and it's gotten a little bit more difficult because there's a lot more competition now because everybody who wasn't doing voiceovers is now trying to audition for right. voiceovers. Um, but, you know, I do. I, right. I've been doing yeah. voiceovers for um, 10 years now professionally, I think. 10, 20, uh, 11 years. Yeah. Wow. I think, it, I think your chicken is done. <laughs> I think you're um, right. <laughs> so, well, that, that's amazing. And, and yes, like getting pushed out of the nest, that's an interesting <clears> way of saying it even since the beginning of this quarantine and everything was shutting down and the whole beginning of COVID, I keep thinking there's going to be a silver lining to this. Even with all the horrible things that have been happening, everything, there has to be little silver linings, bigger silver linings. There's got to be something good that comes out of it. So like you had a dark cloud and there was a silver lining. So your normal growing up, was you knew you had this inner talent of yours, your introversion and shyness kind of prevented you to really explode out of it. So you're kind of like skirting around it, doing working with ad agencies and, and mm-hmm. working behind the camera. The responsibility that you're given was not the responsibility you want to be ha- handling. Your responsibility was actually inside of you that you wanted, yeah. that you wanted to handle and be responsible for your own inner talent Mm -hmm. and let them come out do you realize did you realize that then that there was a struggle no i didn't realize that until i was older until i you know until that struggle started to manifest itself in like you know whatever happens as as an adult when you are finally dealing with like things that you should have dealt with as a kid or as a as a younger person but you weren't aware of them yeah and then you keep doing things the same way that you did as a as a younger person but now you're an adult and it's just not working out for you you know, you come into, you start getting like, yeah. you start having a lot of anxiety or maybe anger, frustration about like, why isn't this working? What, what's because you're not, 
you're not you're, you're dealing with things the same way you dealt with as a kid or you're maybe avoiding things that oh, you so avoided true. as a kid but then you're like well why is everybody getting ahead of me and yeah. you start getting down and you're you realize oh right. that's the you know it's the insecurity that you that you had that's that's not allowing you to go on those auditions or not allowing you to work a little harder or not allowing you to focus papa can you see me papa can you find me Are you near me? Papa, can you hear me? Papa, can you help me not be frightened? Looking at the skies, I seem to see a million eyes. Which ones are yours? Where are you now that yesterday has waved goodbye and closed its doors? The night is so much darker the wind is so much colder the world i see is so much bigger now that i'm alone here's another kind of funny thing so i i auditioned for this play at the studio theater in dc and it was called uh this is our youth and it was just a three-person play and i i got the understudy of one of the leads i guess i guess they're all kind of leads but uh, mm -hmm. one of one of the guys and um, I was understudying this guy, this actor from like, I don't know where he's from. He's like out of town, cool actor. It's very, he's super, super cool. And uh, mm -hmm. I think he had been studying in Russia. He had gone to like studied in Russia or something at the theater there. And then come back. His name was John mm -hmm. Bernthal. And John Bernthal might sound familiar because mm -hmm. he is a very successful actor now. He basically, um, I think he got his, his big break playing Al Pacino in Night at the Museum. Um, but he's got this like great face and he's, he's very, you know, charismatic on, on camera. And, uh, he definitely did not lack for confidence. Mm -hmm. I remember him telling me like, we're having like a conversation at one point. He's like, yeah, my agent thinks it's good for me to, uh, you know, do this play. And then, you know, I'm going to go out to LA or something. And I, you know, this is me. Like, again, it's like no agent. This is the first time I've ever been in like a professional mm -hmm. environment. And, uh, I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that I enjoyed doing it. And this is, you know, talking to a guy who's like, you know, study this and, you know, reputable theaters and done all this stuff. I'm like talking about going to LA and I'm yeah. like, okay. And so at the end of the, there's like a, a week run left and John got hired to do something, some, something, I don't know what it was, but he had to leave the show. And so I ended up going on yeah. for him the last week and it was fantastic. Oh. I just had so much fun doing it. And um, that sort of ignited me to pursue it. And then not too yeah. long after that, like I auditioned for another thing at the Kennedy center and um, that's how I got my equity card. I got my equity card pretty early on doing a, uh, an opera for young audiences, like a tour. And then wow, I did, I think another show in DC. And at that point I, you know, I, I had met a lot of people and I started feeling more confident in like doing things. And I realized I was talking to one of the most successful actors in DC at the time. It was this, this girl, and she had like a couple of shows booked throughout the year. She was just booked because everybody wanted to work with her. And, but she had another job. She had a second job. Uh -huh. And I, at the time, was working at a restaurant. And I was like, this blows. I mean, I, you know, it's fun to work at a restaurant and have fun. But I was like, this isn't what I want to do. I had some good times, but it's like yeah. after a while, well, it was definitely a grind. But I, uh, I moved to New York because I knew that if I stayed in D.C., I would not be able to be a full-time actor. I wouldn't be able to support myself as an actor. So I moved to DC in 2004 right. and basically 
had some ups and downs and successes and lots of you know failures um but finally was able to support myself as an actor in 2013 2012 2013 come fly with me come fly let's fly away if you could use some exotic booze there's a bar in far bombay Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. Wow, so it took you, let's say you're in the locker room about to talk to Jordan. <laughs> yeah, in, yeah. Uh, <laughs> in 2001. So it was about a dozen years and you actually became like yeah. a profitable. Um, and actor. you know, a lot uh, of that I think could have happened sooner. Again, if I, moving to New York, it's like, being yeah. an actor, you have to be your own boss. You have to be good at time management. You have to be good at organization. Yeah. Um, you have to be diligent. Those were all things that took me a while to learn to do. And it were all things that I had mm -hmm. struggled with throughout my life. And I'm much but better. But you were a now. business major. They didn't teach you any of they that. They don't teach you how to like really? be self-reliant. So huh. They don't teach you how to like be like, okay, well, here's how you really organize your day. Or here's how you actually achieve a goal. <laughs> you know, that's like assume things. Those are things that's that are shocking. assumed. Like if you can get into college, we would just assume you know how to like, you have a goal, well, here's how you achieve it. Especially if you have ADHD or ADD, like where your mind is going all over the place. Like those are things that I had to struggle with yeah. and then finally be like, okay, why am I not more successful at this point? Um, I did have successes. Right. I mean, I, right. you know, when I, when I nailed an audition or when I got an audition and I, I did a good job, I, I would get hired for it. Um, Sometimes I wouldn't because that's not how it works all the time. But like there were, you know, there were definitely some successes in there, yeah. but it wasn't like I wasn't bouncing from one show to another, you know, all of a sudden able to support myself. It happened. It was mm -hmm. whatever was in the water or in the universe at the, in the year 2013, like everything kind of, yeah. you know, it was like, I booked three huge voiceover campaigns and I booked beautiful and two, two other regional shows prior to that. Wow. So it was like. Whatever happened, it just clicked that year. Luck, let a gentleman see Just how nice a dame you can be I know the way you treated Other guys you've been with Luck be a lady with me Lady wouldn't flirt with strangers. She'd have a heart, she'd have a soul. A lady wouldn't make little snake eyes at me when I've got my life on this road. I know the movie Night at the Museum was Ben Stiller and it was written by very talented people and Robin Williams is in it. I don't know an Al Pacino I think, character. Did I say Al Pacino? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you have to edit that out. No. Al, uh, <laughs> Al Capone. Al Capone. Al Capone. Oh, I know exactly who uh, you're talking about now. Yeah, yes. that was Al Capone. Um, but he, you know, he's gone on to be in Wolf of Wall Street. He, he plays the Punisher. Like he has his own TV show now. Like he's like hugely successful yeah um, and you know he's really good at that yeah. like menacing badass you know mofo and kind of italian type of uh archetype and that's you know he's capitalized on that 1920s 19th yeah or like in wolf of wall street he played that yeah. he played that guy 
with the with the briefcase and like the I forgot he was like laundering money or something or maybe he was a drug dealer and he had like the gold chains and stuff. Yeah, and he's he's a great actor. Speak to me, friend. Whisper, I'll listen. I know, I know you've been locked out of sight all these years like me my friends well I've come home to find you waiting home and we're together and we'll do wonders won't we you there my friend you found your joy if i could say your gift your calling your attachment to being on the stage rather than yeah being in front yeah of the i mean i think i was i started on the stage and i found i think you know maybe mm-hmm. not now is not the case but like i think most kids who get into theater or get into acting start in theater, you know, they start, you know, singing in front of people or their local mm-hmm. church or whatever. And, uh, yeah, so mine was started on in theater and I have done some, uh, minor TV stuff and I've, I've done like a couple like small films and stuff like that. Um, but I have primarily made my living in theater. Now my goal had always been to move into mm-hmm. TV and film because when I tell this story about like, you know, I finally was able to afford to be, you know, live as an actor in New York. Well, you still have to work and you still have to audition. I think there's a huge misconception of people who are not in the industry that like, once you get on TV once, like, Oh, you still have to audition. Like I've been asked, Oh, you still have to audition, which I just, it's just so funny to me. Cause yeah, I mean, of course I have to audition. And even at like high levels, yeah. well, not, not even necessarily. I mean, only like, the you know, big uh, Robert Downey Jr. Had to audition yeah. for Iron Man. You can find his, his, uh, is a screen test on YouTube and I suggest you watch it because it's brilliant. Um, okay. But yeah, I mean like you still audition, you know, you still have to audition for, for roles for me. Yeah. And what I've been practicing more and more is like the transition and the art of acting on film is very different than the art of acting for a theater for, for primarily for a couple different reasons. When you're in on theater one, there's a distance, you know, there are two, like the people who are watching, it's all about who's, the, the observer, right? So in theater, the observer are the thousand people in the audience who have a different angle um, and different distance from the, the action. On TV and film, the observer is the camera. And so you have to know where the camera is. You have to know how far away the camera is. You have to know how to react within the camera. You have to know, like, am I going to show you my eyes? Am I being too big? Am I smiling? Am I, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. And then being natural, you're, the mm-hmm. camera doesn't, you know, classic the camera doesn't lie it doesn't it's hard to fake the camera so i can like be like a character on on stage where i couldn't necessarily be that character on camera because it's harder to fake and so i just you know you have to learn those things and that's what i've been practicing i've been you know literally taking classes like zoom classes with this great uh acting coach uh, on camera acting coach during the this pandemic time of time of pandemonium and uh, that's been super yeah. helpful because, you know, he, he has been able to say, like, oh, you're being a theater actor a little too much. You're like, oh, that's really good. You know, you should, you know, like, heighten that or just look to work, you know, and, and also working with other people who are better yeah. than you. Because I didn't go to acting school, like, my 
yeah. way I learned was acting with other actors who were better than I was and just like watching them, observing them, asking them questions. Um, that's, that's how I, how I did it. Mm. It was great. It was fantastic. That's a great um, education. The other thing is that with the way that technology and the way that the industry has moved, like once I got on Broadway, I had, you know, thing on my resume that said, I've been on Broadway. I am a legitimate actor. And so it opened the doors to like other casting agencies being like, yeah. sure, we'll allow him to come in and audition for us because he's been on Broadway. It's just like this little, you know, thing that you kind of have to achieve at some point if you want to continue up the ladder. And yeah, it's uh, it legitimizes you to a certain extent. Um, it doesn't give you a job, but it allows you to get in the room sometimes. Mm -hmm. So the same thing is with TV and film. It's like if you are a TV actor, that kind of legitimizes you to a certain degree. And so like getting other jobs can be more, I might not say easier, but like you can get in the room more like work begets work. And that's what I'm, you know, struggling with now. I have not worked because Broadway is closed. Theater is closed. And there are some sure. TV productions yeah. that are still going on now. They closed down for a while, but they're, you know, far and few between. It's not what it used to be. When you found yourself really getting into when you're when you're becoming a successful actor where what happens to the adhd what happens to the shiny <clears throat> well it's still there version? you know i still have it but it's uh i i am aware yeah. of it the yeah. difference is become is the awareness yeah. of when it's affecting you and so before it would be like i would have that introversion yeah. i would have that that you know oh i you know a squirrel it can then remind yourself <laughs> oh wait there's sure. there's a goal that you're trying to achieve or there's there's a process that you're trying to work on i actually don't necessarily yeah. work off goals as much as working off processes now i found it's easier for me so it's you know an example would be like oh, oh i have a goal good. of yeah. accomplishing whatever well to accomplish that i have to do yeah. you know, something so for instance if i was putting together a concert um my yeah. goal would i guess would be to learn the music but the process is every day I warm up and every day I practice the mm -hmm. piano or every day I sing for an hour. And within that, I get to mm -hmm. accomplish mm -hmm. something. And so like the accomplishment comes from the, the process of being consistent. The process is the every, process is very important because then you can take, you know, yeah. my, my friend, uh, I've got this friend who is a CEO of a tech company. And we were talking the other day and he was saying like he had gone through this sort of epiphany where like he was very goal oriented. Like he went to Ivy League schools and worked for Google and now he's, you know, runs this tech company and he was very goal oriented, you know, had everything. But he was always left with like when he would reach the goal, he'd be like, so now, okay, well, that's done, I guess, you know, kind of short lived enthusiasm where now he like just focuses on the process of things. He's like, well, you know, every day I work on this and this and this. And when I achieve the goal, that's great, but I take, I, I get something out of the process. It's not like a, it's not like I'm doing this and like, oh, it's just for the goal. Yeah, they like get pushed through this. You know, it's even like working out. It's like the process of working out as opposed to like the goal of losing two pounds. Yeah. You know, you're creating these habits or these processes for you and mm -hmm. you can, you can relish in that process. And I find that like, that's when I get the most out of, out of something is when I'm working on the process, when I'm in the flow, because you will, and this is something else they don't teach you, as you're on your way to achieving a goal, there's going to be feelings that come up like, you don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to do this today. Like, you got to work through it. You got to push yourself. Well, if you're doing, if you're working on the process, yeah. then you kind of know, like, 
this is, you know, this is what I'm doing today. This is my process. And today I'm kind of not feeling like I, I draw and I paint. So it's like, I don't kind of don't feel like doing this today. Well, let me just, you know, kind of get into it and, and feel around and, and just work on the process. It's not about necessarily achieving that goal. It's about being there in the, in the moment. It's the journey. It is. It's got to be the journey. Bring him mentioned your art and i've seen your art people need to see your art because your watercolor is amazingly beautiful thank you really i mean i don't know what else you can't do <laughs> that's definitely a process the watercolor the more you practice the better you get with it yeah exactly you brought up that you have a teacher but you also are a teacher yeah. well right now i coach students usually like in high school or I've, some college but i'll coach anybody but what I have become good mm -hmm. at is auditioning, audition techniques and, and performance techniques. And so, oh. and you know, auditioning is, is, is a different oh, animal great. than performing. And what specifically what I do with my, my students is understanding, mm -hmm. like, okay, if you have a piece of music or you have a monologue or you have a scene, like, what information are we getting from this? How do we break it down? How are we, I, I like to use the term reverse engineering it. So it's like, where do we want to end up? physically, emotionally, how are we going to get there? What are the uh, elements to the song that need to be shown? What's happening between the notes? What's happening between the lines, the subtext of the piece? You know, what is the, what is the piece actually saying? Mm. It's not in the lyrics or in the, in the dialogue. Subtext, you know, is a huge thing. Subtext is everything, really, because it's like you can, you know, look at a, any, like, well-written TV show or well-written movie, and it's like they could be talking about anything. But it's like, if the subtext is correct, then you understand what the actual scene is about. You know, it's like the behavior of the, of the character. Mm -hmm. There's a good, there's a really good scene from The Crown that is like so full of subtext. And the scene is like the, the mm -hmm. uh, queen is giving a, a, a talk to a bunch of people. And she's talking about a painting behind her. And there's a guy to her right. And I think Philip is to her left. And um, the guy to her right is a traitor. He's betrayed them. And she's talking about the picture and all of the words that she's using to describe the picture are to talk about like, I guess it's like the man behind the painting or the face behind the painting. It's like what we see versus what we, who we really are underneath. And she's just talking about the painting and everybody in the audience is like, yes, yes, the queen's talking about the painting. Mm. But the behavior, the subtext of it, you know that she's, she's talking about a traitor oh, yeah. standing right next to her. And it's a really, really powerful example. No, oh, that's amazing. You'll be back. Soon you'll see. You'll remember you belong to me. You'll be back. 
dying tale You'll remember that I serve you well Oceans rise, empires fall We have seen each other through it all And when push comes to shove I will send a fully on battalion To remind you of my love You see our love is draining And you can't go You'll be the one complaining when I am gone. And no, don't change the subject. Cause you're my favorite subject. My sweet, submissive subject. My loyal, royal subject. Forever and ever. I did want to bring up what you brought up as well is Broadway is dark. Well, they they turned on all the lights for the Macy's Day thing and and they did have a bunch of performances down there. But as far as like dark being like there's no lights in the theater. Right. Yeah. There's nothing happening in the theaters. You can't go see a Broadway show. Broadway is closed, which is just like, I mean, the amount of people who work on a Broadway show in the Broadway community, let alone the people who support it, like all yeah. of the, the tourist places that yeah. you go, the restaurants. I mean, it's just devastating. It's devastating. Yeah. Pretty yeah. much every other industry that I can think of has been able to start back up at some point, you know, but theater in general, I mean, there have been a couple yeah. of things where they did like distance yeah. theater and like singing behind like plexiglass and stuff, but not on Broadway, but like some regional places. But, you know, that's just not happening. And uh, and Broadway is just just dead right now. Yeah, it's supposed to come back in May. That's all contingent on what's going on with you know COVID and the the um, vaccines and whether people take the vaccines and you know whether there's you know there's yeah. a whole that's a whole other thing. It's shocking. The whole thing of Broadway is going sure. to the yeah. show. It's live. You're there. It's, you had a Hamilton come on. Sure. Yeah, that's when I saw it. The the people who typically get the work. The- are either the people who are currently in a very successful Broadway show, um, or if you're, you know, soloing, then you've got a name. Yeah. Any number of the very successful um, people out there. Right. But those are not the majority. The majority of the people who work on Broadway are, you know, as the actors are the ensemble and the um, the secondary characters. And then not to mention like yeah. the amount of actors who yeah. work throughout the country in regional theater. And so. That's the that's the tough part. Right. Yeah, a, a live theater isn't coming yeah. back. You can't have ensembles. You can't have people that close. You can't. I mean, even the fact that if you have actors You're, working on TV shows yeah. right now, movies right now, all the crew are in masks and everything, and and socially distanced. But you have right. Well, you have to you know, but, somehow but work you around have it. To do and this is what what some TV shows have done. So I've got a friend who's a uh, a uh, stunt person, and she was working on a movie that got shut down like they were right in the middle of it and they shut it down like in the beginning so like she went back to finish filming this movie she was on campus like they yeah. had everybody who was working on the movie was living on the campus of the movie set or like yeah. in a hotel and they were not allowed to leave the hotel except to go to the campus of the movie set to shoot and go back so like right. if you really wanted to, to put together and sh- a broadway show you could do that you would just have to test everybody all the time like they like the daily 
they'd have to just rehearse and then go back and rehearse or go back and then put on the show. So it's possible. It's just, you'd have to balance that with, you know, how much money you're going to make to, to do that. Yeah. That's definitely not always possible in how (laughs) film and TV is done, but I, there was a recent TV show. It was the second season. I was on the first season of it where everyone was in a hotel for, it was like eight weeks, six, eight weeks. This is a scary time they're in and right you made up a good point you said a good point that it's not just broadway Mm -hmm. you have the theater scene in london you have touring companies you have local companies you have all these all the hundreds of millions of dollars that that is gone you know i mean it's it's a lot of money like a a successful show like hamilton is making like one point whatever a week in revenue you know, Beautiful made, I think, $50 million the first year in revenue. Right. So it's, you know, you look at that and then you multiply that times, wow. you know, a bunch of shows. And then you think about just the amount of tourists that come to New York. I mean, like when I would go down, you know, it was packed. I'd have to walk. I'd actually would not walk through Times Square because it's not my favorite place to be. I would go and like come in from the outside. But um, you can't right. avoid it all the time. And sometimes you have to yeah. go through there. And it's just packed with people and the amount of money that they're, they're losing it's insane i see my wife my goatee looking like a rich man's wife with a proper double chin <laughs> supervising meals to a heart's delight i see her putting on airs and strutting like a peacock oh what a happy mood she's in <laughs> Screaming at the servants day and night. Josh, clean the room. Josh, do the deal. Okay, I'm fine. The most important men in town will come to call on me. So let's talk about you for a minute. This is the question that I ask everybody. And thank you so much for sharing what you have so far. And there's, there is oh, always more to talk about. Thank you so much. This is the question I ask everybody. What does normal mean to you? Well, I think... First of all, everybody's normal is, is their own sense of normal. My normal is going on auditions and performing in front of people or traveling across the country doing eight shows a week. You know, that's, that was normal to me. Um, it's not a quote unquote normal life. Mm. It's not a nine to five, you know, kids yeah. and white picket fence, but it's, it's normal to me because you have a set idea of, what you're doing or what your day entails. Um, you, what, you know, an idea of like what you prepare yourself for and what's happened yeah. recently is kind of jolted everybody. And, you know, my normal day now is like, I have to create a normal day for myself. So like, I'll get up, I'll take my dog out, I'll exercise him. I'll listen to the news, I'll exercise and then, you know, do my day. Um, and my normal day is like, you know, sing for an hour. I try to like, do some painting at some point. I like talk to some friends. Um, you know, if I have an audition, I'll prepare for that. If I don't, I'll just, you know, I built a tree house this in my parents' backyard for my nephew. That mm-hmm. was like normal. <laughs> um, I think the, the you awesome. know, the sense of normality is, yeah. is having a sense that you're like working towards that goal, the process for yourself in that goal. And when something like this happens, there is this sense yeah. that like, there is a this large thing that you have to give attention to. It takes away from yourself or your normality. 
Um, right. You know, like after 9-11, there was like, what is the new normal? Well, the new normal was kind of just being like nervous. I remember the first time I flew on an airplane after that. Yeah. Um, the odds of something happening after that on an airplane were incredibly small. But the new normal in your head is like, I know I have to be, you know, now I, I, I've got to take my shoes off when I go through security. Or I've got to like get patted down. I can't have a bottle of water with me. Yeah. I can't smuggle drugs like I used to, whatever, you know, but <laughs> I, think, I think we're always kind of in a flux of, of normal. And I think we get pretty used to this idea of normal. Um, whereas that's, if you take a step back, you know, because our lives are so short, it's hard to, to understand that like the normal is actually this up and down, you know, like I, I was talking to somebody who, uh, the other day yeah. about this pandemic and, uh, I was saying like, this isn't, uh, they were saying like, how could we have prepared for that? We were kind of getting into a heated, heated argument. And she was saying like, how could we have prepared for this? Like, we didn't even know this was happening. This was going to happen. How could we ever have prepared for this? And I was saying, well, we did know this was going to happen at some point. Kind of like we have an idea that there's going to be a hurricane or a tornado at some point. Again, we don't know exactly where it's going to happen, but you can prepare for those kinds of things to a certain extent. And right. with this, like there have been, other than the 1918 right. um, influenza pandemic, there have been other pandemics. Like the, I think there was one in 1953, 2003, 2009. They weren't like to the scale, but there have been other things. And so like nature is cyclical. Right. We know these things are going to happen again. This obviously is a huge mm -hmm. disruption to our quote unquote normality. But I think like sometimes our normality can get a little bit closed off. And we have to remember that like there are bigger forces out there, bigger cycles that we have to be aware of. And it's hard to like, it's hard to explain to like an entire population of people, oh, you should be aware of this, this thing that could happen. You know, I think pre preppers are, have that kind of mindset. They kind of prepare for things right. for the unknown, but for the general public, you know, and they shouldn't, they shouldn't be worrying about like, okay, there's, you know, prior to this, like when the pandemic hits, how am I going to afford to feed my family or whatever. Like, obviously you can think about those things, but for me, for instance, like I wasn't prepared for yeah. there to be no theater. I wasn't, you know, I didn't have a fallback plan. My fallback plan was like, Oh, well, like, right. I'll go back to theater. If TV doesn't work out, like that was the, the fallback plan. Anyway, that's a long winded <laughs> answer. The normal for me is a, uh, is very individual, you know? And it's yeah. like, the, the nice thing that I think most of us are able to do is kind of create a normality where we can fall into a process and we can fall into like my normal day is like, I wake up and make myself a cup of coffee. I like read the paper. I do whatever. Um, although I don't drink coffee. There is, there is this like expectation yeah. of like tomorrow will be the same as today. And when there is a disturbance in the force, we don't always react well to that. And it kind of knocks us off. And I think we have to, remind ourselves that we do need to be flexible with those things. Um, I mean, I, I definitely have had my fair share of anxiety these last, you know, seven or eight months and, and, and fears. And I, I've, I've definitely have a better yeah. understanding of kind of where my own fears lie. I've, I've, you know, the fear of not having a job, not of, of having to get like a, a normal yeah. job or not being able to support myself or the fears of, um, you know, the reflection of like what is important to me and what I want to, you know, concentrate on in the coming years of my life. So you talked about like, uh, the silver lining to all this. I think there have been some good things that have come out of this, some clarifying of relationships, some clarifying of like your own beliefs system. 
And I think in the long term, if you look at like the uh, the Roaring Twenties, was a reaction somewhat to the nineteen eighteen pandemic. So you know you have oh, a lot yeah, of things absolutely. shutting down. You have a lot of like people being insulated and and not being out or not, maybe not creating art. And like a reaction to that when they came out of it was this sort of renaissance of new art and new music and new food and socializing and that kind yeah. of thing. So I, it'd be very interesting yeah. to see like if and when we get through this, you know, maybe, you know, 2022, I think we might start to get back to normal. 2021 is going to start off probably very similar to this. And then, you know, with the, with the vaccine and if it works and if the majority of people take it and blah, 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 that's going to take another whole year to get through. Yeah. So may- maybe by 2022, 2023, we'll be starting to move into like, back to a different kind of new normal there are new things that are happening now already with businesses and every a lot of things are becoming remote what's next for a theater That's what's a the question. new normal i mean like theater? you know to, well yeah. i think you're gonna probably start to see theaters having limited seating that'll probably be the first thing if they're seating you know if they right. start to open up it'll be kind of limited capacity but the thing about theater is again like there, there's a certain number of seats in there because it costs a lot of money to put on a show it's not like you can just cut it down. And it's right. the same thing with restaurants. I mean, it's a capacity game. And so, you know, theaters have to be, I think, creative in how they're doing that. And and one of those things is to, to move over to maybe you're putting on a play and selling a subscription online. So like your local community, maybe your local theater can put on like a play and you can watch it online. It's not the same thing. Or maybe it'll maybe there'll be more outdoor mm-hmm. venues. But yeah, well, I think they're going to have to feel their way. I mean, I know everybody's itching to get back to it, but you start, you know, walking back in there, like, yeah, tentatively, like, and also just like the idea, you know, we're, 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 we're kind of far away from each other. I have this, this sort of theory where we're just going to, it's like the great hug, right? It's like one day people will be ripping off their masks and burning them in the street because we're so happy. Like we're really like burning our masks, you know, as so we're like this pile of masks. <laughs> And right. it, it'll be like the great hug where I can go up to anybody and be like, I, I'm going to hug you. I'm going to hug you and it's going to be okay. We don't have to be afraid of anymore. But there's going to be that time period where it's there. You're just like, I don't know. I'm, you know, I just want to be, because it's not, it's not going away. That's the thing. It's like, people are like, oh, once we get the vaccine, it, it just goes away. It's not how it works. It's still there. We, we just have to live with it. Right. You know, we have to live with it. Josh, thank you so much. I want to give you uh, a virtual great big hug for being on the show and, and sharing with me your normal, uh, it was beautiful sentiment. It was not long winded at all. It was beautiful. What you shared, I'm sure. And I, and I think so many people can connect to other actors out there, performers, people managing their introversion or handling or struggling with a career change or how did to get out of a, a rut or trying to look for the silver lining, you've, you've hit on so many things. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks very much, Gabe. I really appreciate that. So that was Josh Davis. That was such a, a really cool, cool talk I had with him, right? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I would like to give you a big virtual hug for listening, and I hope we have the great hug that Josh talks about pretty soon. In the meantime, please stay safe out there. Wear a mask. Follow the protocols. And thank you for listening. We're going to close out the show with Josh singing By Your Side from Bo the Musical. Enjoy his voice and melt.
Hey, you there. Yeah, you little boy. The stars are waiting for you, so go and find your joy. Give it all you got. No, you can't be stopped if you stay out of your way. I'm amazed by you. No, I can't believe that he brought me you today. And live like you got nothing to lose. I'll be here standing with you. There's so much you will do. And if you slip, don't worry. I'll reach right on down and pick you up. Don't you let nobody ever tell you that you ain't enough. Go, go, go on, go fly. Whoa, whoa, let's see you shine. And don't forget I'm by your side. The silly world can be so cruel. But listen to your heart. Most times you'll break the rule. It ain't about what's popular, only about what makes you smile. Cherish every moment, my boy. You won't always be a child. And no, there ain't one way to go. Just trust your own direction, and if it's right, you'll know. Don't be scared, just be prepared. There's fun and falling on your face. And when you do, keep laughing through. Just brush it off and call it grace. Go, go, go on, go fly. I've been waiting for you. I know you'll bring me joy.